When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Friday, April 17th, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga. I'm joined by our tri-beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Uh, Paul, uh, looking out the window at some some snowflakes, but uh, pretty soon we're going to be talking to a uh, special guest, uh, Adam Simber uh, from the, the Indians bullpen. Uh, and ho- hopefully he'll have a, a, a better view on, uh, on the weather situation wherever he is. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, an interesting guy, Joe. Uh, a guy that I, you know, that I think it probably took him like ten years to get that motion together, don't you think? Mm-hmm. It just it must have come together in parts and snips and parts, and you know, uh, a, a, a change here, a, a little adjustment there. But uh, you know, uh, you know, he's a very interesting guy, very interesting guy, and uh, you know, when he's when he's right, when he's going good, he's 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 a good pitch. He's very very good reliever as well. Yeah, he's he's very effective against right-handers uh, when when things are going good, when he's in uh um in a good groove and like uh, you know we'll go over some of the numbers with him uh from from the season. But uh you know, just a, a couple of moments that that stood out. I I I do remember um you know, Nelson Cruz really really killed the Indians last year uh in in a lot of ways, but there was a there was a game back in July when uh Nelson Cruz was in the box and Adam Simber was up there with the bases loaded and he struck him out to, to sort of end a threat and just the emotion and uh, you know, the, the excitability that, that Simber is able to show sometimes uh, that's a good thing to see too uh, from some of these guys. And on top of that, he's probably one of the nicest guys in the clubhouse, uh, you know, very approachable, very nice guy to, to talk to. So, uh, you know, you, you like to see good things happen to a guy like that. Definitely. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to him, Joe. All right, when we come back, we'll be joined by Adam Simber uh, here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, we're joined by our special guest, uh, Adam Simber, relief pitcher for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, Adam, great to talk to you. Uh, It's great to talk to you and apparently the dogs as well. Uh, It's great. (laughs) uh, It's totally fine. Uh, Adam, where are you at right now? Where are you located? Where have you been isolating during the, uh, the pandemic? Uh, I'm at home um, in Scottsdale, Arizona, my oh, okay. wife, and two dogs here, Hendrix and Dylan. <laughs> this is Dylan. 
Hendricks and Dylan. That's uh, and we'll we'll get into the uh the, the whole music scene later on here in, in a little bit. But uh, Scottsdale. So I'm assuming when you look out your window right now, like like I am, you're not seeing uh, a dusting of snow uh, in Cleveland on the on the rooftops, uh, no. the way we are in, out there. <laughs> We're not. My mom sent me the uh, weather forecast from uh, Cleveland today, and she said, "Man, it looks pretty chilly there." But you're pretty happy you settled down in Scottsdale right now, but. Yeah, um, no, no snow here, but there's also not forty thousand screaming fans, so you trade one for the other. Right. Uh, how, how have you been? Everybody uh, health wise, everybody good out there? You've been you've been able to train. I know you're just coming off a, a throwing session out there uh, this afternoon. Yeah, everything's going good out here. Um, been been like been isolating for the most. I mean, as best I can, but been going out and throwing with uh, Phil Maton and Aaron Savali. Um, they're both out here too. We've just been playing three-way <clears throat> ever since ever since we, uh, I guess, shut down camp. I was gonna say break camp. Yeah. For the past month, three of us have been just going out and throwing. Have you been able to throw off the mound yet? Um, so we've been the the park we play at has a like grassy knoll that we found a, a spot on it that feels about as close to the mound as we're gonna get. Unfortunately, like all the colleges and high schools around here, completely shut down. So, any hopes of using a mound out there have uh, kind of been shut um, shut down. But um, we we had kind of a lead on on the west side, closer to Goodyear. Sam Hinches is out there, and he and Anthony Ghost had been playing um, playing catch out there. And there's a high school out there that had a, a mound, but they I guess shut that shut that down last week too. So. It's, it's hard to come by. Yeah, I was. we were talking to Logan Allen earlier, and he said he was going to build a mound. He's out in Scottsdale, too. So, But I think I th he said he found access to some mound, but I, I'm not sure how that worked out. Yeah, I hadn't talked to Logan. Uh, I guess I didn't even realize he was out here. Um, I know I had a buddy. I have a buddy, uh, Matt Strom, with the Padres. He, he just built a mound in his backyard. <laughs> He's like a pre-skilled craftsman or carpenter or whatever, but so you I'm not guys quite are, there yet. Might have him over to give me yeah. some pointers. You guys are all out in the desert uh, Googling uh, how to build a mound and, and all the uh, the process that goes into that. Uh, exactly. You, you <laughs> pick I guess we got a lot of time on our hands. Might as well learn some new skills maybe. All right. Uh, you know, just a real quick recap of, of your season last year, 68 appearances with the Indians. Uh, 19 holds, uh, 49 scoreless outings. Uh, your inherited runner percentage was about 24%, uh, and that was about seventh in the AL. And and you did pick up your first career save. Uh, I, I don't know what you, you remember about that night. Uh, uh, Albert Pujols, you struck out uh, in in uh, Anaheim for your first career save. Your reaction was was pretty excited. Uh, you know, go back and look at the video there. Uh, tell us what you remember about that moment. <clears throat> Yeah, um, I, that was kind of in the middle of a, a really rough stretch for me. And I just remember sitting out there in the bullpen and seeing how the game was playing out. That was when uh, I think Brad had just gone home for uh, or gone back to Cleveland to, to get his elbow looked at. So it was kind of like a uh, closer by committee at that point for like kind of that week. Mm -hmm. And they kind of said they're going to be going matchups and me and Oliver were up in the ninth. I think Wickren might have gone out to start it, and then it was me and Oliver were up, and it was kind of like matchups, and I kind of started to see it playing out, and I was like, all right, like, 
I'm ready to break out of this little funk that I've been in for the last couple of weeks. And I, I just remember coming in and I think that that's kind of where that emotion came from. It was just kind of like that finally, like, let's go, let's, <laughs> let's lock it back in. And I think at that point in the season, we were, we were fighting for a wild card spot. So it was mm-hmm. an important game. And it was, uh, it was one run late. It might've been like two to one or three to two or something like that. So right. I think there was just a lot of factors going into that that night for me and my parents were in the, the stands it was just kind of an exciting moment and I think that looking back I was like yeah I shouldn't have showed up Albert Pujols quite like that I didn't well, <laughs> no I disrespect mean, I, I think I was just so overcome with like everything going on I mean mm-hmm. all the moments in my career where I, I thought like I want to be a big league closer I want to be a big league closer and finally out there and you get you're not a closer but I mean I got my first save it, it was just sort of a historic land uh, landmark moment for me I guess in my yeah. career I mean, we'll we'll allow you a little bit of a an emotional uh, you know display there when you do it against a future Hall of Famer who just got his you know three thousand hit that year. I, I think it, it that's not one of the unwritten rules. You you weren't breaking anything there by by getting a little pumped. Uh, for for me, really the uh, one of the plays that really stood out uh, for you uh, during the season um, it was against Miami uh, back at home, and there was a, a sharp ground ball to Santana at first base, and you had to hustle over and and cover the bag. And I just remember watching the video, the replay over and over again uh, of you tagging the bag uh, before the runner got there with your glove and then doing a somersault and getting up and, you know, you got ball cap all over the place, hair all over the place. And you're, you're doing a somersault, made the play and you jump up and, and it's like, you know, oh, that was a pretty nice uh, athletic play. Pitchers are athletes too, right? <laughs> I guess I do remember that now. I think in the moment I felt like it was super unathletic. Um, I had to get up and ask everybody in the dugout, like, did that look good or bad? Because <laughs> it felt bad. That's not actually – I've done that two or three other times. I, I did it a couple times in the minor leagues. I think I did it at San Diego my first year too. And it's just sort of like a a weird reaction to where it's a kind of like a slightly low throw, but I'm also like trying to figure out where the bag is with my feet. And I just mm-hmm. sort of like – I'm just going to take it with my glove instead of trying to figure out where my foot's at. Well, it's not like Clevenger's going to meet you at the top step of the dugout holding a uh, a sign giving you a, a 10 or an 8 or a, a 5.0 from the Russian judge or something like that. The uh, the the, t- the tumble was pretty good. Uh you know, just just, just thinking back on your season though, it was it was really a tale of two halves for you. You know, the first half of the season things went really well, and then like you said, you hit that sort of a sort of a rough patch, but but things finished on an uptick for you at the end. Yeah, um I guess as much of an uptick as you want to call that, I still felt like, I mean, from about August on, um, it was a grind. I'd have a few good ones and I'd have a bad one or two. Just a little inconsistent. And I think that um, for me right now, it's just been focusing on um, getting back to some, we made some mechanical adjustments this off season. I I ended up going, I looked at a side-by-side video and photos, still frame, um, I was nine inches lower at release point in September than I was in April when the season started. So it was just like complete everything. Like my lower half just became unstacked. I started kind of like falling towards the third base dugout and it like made my arms drop and my entire body drop and my head's more tilted in September than it was in April. So there's a lot of things that I think contributed to it. It kind of went from a mechanical thing to then it's easy to kind of let it snowball into a frustration mental thing where you kind of lose a little bit of confidence because the results aren't there. Results aren't there because mechanics aren't there. So 
I think it just kind of, we went back to some fundamentals and got back to um, some of the things that have been my strengths over the, the past few years. And I think that going forward, hopefully this time in August, well, whenever the season starts, mm-hmm. the second half of the season, I'll be able to kind of identify a few more like mechanical things that I need to be like working on every day and play catch and make sure I'm doing the game to where I'm not falling apart like that mechanically and results wise. Um, so, yeah. Hey, Adam, um, that sounds like nine inches sounds like such a drop. If I'm a fan, can would I be able to see that? Or do you have to be you or a coach or somebody to, to pick that up? I mean, you're going to have to be a probably a camera to, to pick it up because, I mean, I didn't pick it up. Nobody with us picked it up until we kind of went really broke down, like, okay, things were going good here, things were going bad here, what's the difference? And you're, like, seeing reference points on the field from the TV camera, and you're like, wow, my hand is here on the first one, and it's here on the other one. And you kind of go back and you see your body is here on the first one, and it's here on the second one. It's like, wow. And then you kind of, you go back and look at the analytics of it. And it's like, yeah, my release point's nine inches lower here. Like that's a big drop. Like that's, that's a game changer. Um, So I I think that knowing that, that that's kind of something that's happened the last couple of years, my second half in 18 was a little uh, slower than the first half. Um, So I think going into whenever this next season starts, it's going to be really hammering down what I'm doing and play catch mechanically when things go bad, go back and see, okay, what am I doing when I'm going good? Making sure I'm not doing something drastically to where I'm almost a foot lower than I was when I was going good. When you think about that, you wonder if you have to tell the, uh, the camera crew or the grounds crew, Hey, Hey, don't move that camera during the season. It's out there. I'm using this for reference points. Don't, uh, don't move these around. That's, that, that's just one, a million different factors that could, could go into it. Absolutely. Uh, Hey, so we're talking about, uh, you know, and all the guys that all the your teammates that we've talked to so far, we've talked about, uh, you know, what it's been like to be in isolation. And uh, you were hearing a lot of the same same patterns and same things uh, for you. You were you were homeschooled gr- growing up from like uh, third third grade through about uh, the beginning of high school there. Uh, yeah. So so really, this isn't really that different for you, right? <laughs> you know, being in indoors during the school for a lot of these parents. <laughs> For a lot of these parents who are complaining about having to, to, to homeschool their kids, this is you know, like old hat for you, right? Yeah. I mean, if this is what I'm used to doing is just hanging out at home and figuring it out. Um, I've kind of been a homebody anyway, so I, I wouldn't say I'm missing out on a whole lot with restaurants and places being closed down. Um, obviously, it's it's a bad situation for everybody, but... I'm, I'm pretty comfortable being at home and um, it's been nice to be able to, we just moved here. So it's been nice to mm-hmm. cross things off the honeydew list and kind of get the, the home in, in um, shape. And um, yeah, uh, the homeschool thing. Um, I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed the years I got to spend. I mean, not only looking back on it, like I got to spend some quality years with my mom and my sister mm-hmm. and then school wise, I felt like I learned so much and I was able to focus so much better um on the on the grades and all that um, without all the distractions and I missed a little bit of social aspect I guess but I was still able to play on the baseball teams and summer teams I still had friends and a social outlet I guess 
uh, you know, and, and like you said, being a homebody, being being around the house a lot, uh, you're a big guitar player. Like you said, you you named your uh, your dogs are, are Dylan and Hendrix, or yep. the two dogs. Uh, so yeah, I'm assuming you've been playing a lot of guitar in this uh, during the quarantine, right? Yeah, I'm obviously not as much as I I'd like to. Um, I used to be really really into it in high school, mm-hmm. um, and like once college ball started and like pro ball, it's it's harder to find the time, but yeah, I definitely have picked it up a little bit more than um, I would have if we were well, playing it, for sure. We, we just talked to, uh, we did a Zoom call with uh, Tito the other day, and, in, and one of the reporters noticed in the background of his, uh, his Zoom call that, that he had a guitar, but I guess it was a guitar that they gave him from the All-Star game, and he's like, yeah, it's there, but I'll never play it, so you're never going to have a jam session with Tito. That's disappointing. I did... <laughs> I saw uh, I saw Carlos Santana with a guitar at the All Star game too. I'm not sure if he plays, but I'm pretty sure. Talking, that, go ahead, go we ahead. Paul. Talking to uh, Delano De Shields, and he plays. So oh, does he get together with him? There you <laughs> go. De Shields says he plays country music too. So I mean, it's like it, it, you would not expect Delano to be a big country music fan, but uh, <laughs> a Darius Rucker there a little, little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, but you said it says in the uh, in the in the media guide that your first concert was Aerosmith. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was I was twelve or maybe thirteen at that point. They came to the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington. I went with my oh, sister. Wow. And what, it was was there a, a favorite Aerosmith song, or was it? Are, are you a big Aerosmith fan, or just a, a show? Uh, I mean, I know their stuff. I wouldn't say like I'm a massive fan. I think that was when I really started getting into like classic rock. Um, right around that time. So I think that I, I, as I got older, I got into a little bit different, I guess, aspect or genre of the classic rock. I am more of a 60s guys, uh, 60s guy. Um, Beatles are my favorite band. I like The Doors, Bob Dylan, obviously. Hendrix, obviously. Well, see, now you're talking Hoinsies. Yeah, Hard Day's Night, right? Hard Day's Night. There you go. That's, that's the one that got me into the, the movie, the Beatles movie, Hard Day's Night. My sister I brought love that, that movie. Yeah, that's great. Cool. She had to do a project on it, and I was like, "Hoinsie was on the cool. ta- was on the tarmac when they got off the plane." I mean, that was, that's yeah. back then. He was a reporter. Yeah. It was, it was, that was your first reporting job, right, Hoinsie? Yeah. Uh, but but growing up in Washington, you're uh, obviously a big Mariners fan at the time, and the you know big Griffey uh, fan, obviously had to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my my parents' dog's name is Griffey. Oh wow! Oh, yeah. So so coming to the Indians, I, I mean, this is this is the team that, that beat the Mariners when you, you were about five years old when they, they beat them in 95. Yeah. Uh, you know, that had to be kind of jarring for you to be traded to Cleveland and, uh, and <laughs> the, the team that, that sort of, you know, beat that, that great Mariners team in 95. For sure. But at the same time, I was a big Nomar Garcia Parra fan. Once Griffey left and A-Rod left, mm-hmm. I became kind of a Nomar fan and started liking the Red Sox and cool. was like, way in on them when they won the world series and so like getting that call from tito on that day i got traded i was like he's like hey this is terry francona like manager for the indians and i'm like yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) that's that's cool um adam what 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 do you think do you think you guys are going to play this year do you do you have any have you heard any rumblings or what what's your gut feel on it Man, I sure hope so. I, I have no idea. I mean, we've talked about this with the guys that like Phil and Savali and Ghost. Anthony Ghost actually lives with me now. 
<laughs> we were just talking about that last night. Like, man, what do you think? What do you think? And we both kind of said, you know, let's, let's flip a coin is kind of where we're at right now. It's, you'd like to be super optimistic about it. Um, so, I mean, obviously, yeah, we want to play, but that's, if we're being realistic, it's, who knows? It's, there's a lot of things that have to change. Yeah. Would uh would you favor one of the plans or over the other one that's that's being bounced around? You know, either having all the teams in Arizona or doing it fifteen and fifteen. And and what's your thought on you know having to be basically isolated in a in a hotel with your teammates for for four months as opposed to you know being able to if you live right there in Scottsdale? I mean that that you know, that'd have to be hard just to have people that close and, and not be able yeah. to interact. When when I initially heard that that idea of like all the teams out here i'm like oh great like live out here and then i heard the second part was like oh we got to stay in the hotel and at that point i'd almost be like i'd rather be farther away and not just be like oh my wife and dogs house for mm-hmm. half hour down the road but i can't go um i i mean i'm all for that I, if we can play i'm all for it um i i think that it would be good good for baseball in so many reasons so many ways i think it'd be good for america to i mean we look at it for being like isolated in a hotel, it sucks. But if it's a way that we can be on TV for other people around the country to stay home and watch a baseball game instead of going out and spreading the disease. I mean, if it's some way we can benefit America and the country and bring some happiness to other people, that's worth the, the quarantine in a hotel. And they're, they're worse guys to hang out with in a five month season than, well, the guys on the Cleveland well that uh, <laughs> that leads into a, a real easy question here. I've asked all of your uh, your teammates that we've talked to, who would be the guy if you're four months, you've, you've got a room with one guy, who uh, who are you quarantining with? Uh, who's your first choice uh, of your teammates if, if you got to quarantine with somebody for four months? Four months with somebody. <clears throat> I'd go Phil, I mean, probably Phil or Aaron, honestly. I mean, for different reasons, Phil. I mean, I've known him since AAA, and we've roomed together mm-hmm. before. I I actually moved into his um, his room when he got called up to the big leagues. I moved into his apartment with his roommates at the time, and I mean, we know each other pretty well. Savali, I mean, that guy, he's a great guy too, and he's quiet, he's responsible, <laughs> smart, ideal roommate uh, qualities. Well, Luplo told us that he would room with uh, with Tyler Nakon, and, and we both agreed that you'd have to pretty much sleep with one eye open if you're rooming <laughs> with Tyler Nakon. So. Oh, man, that would be a pretty uh, fun room, I think. <laughs> Anytime Nakon's in a room, it's he definitely adds a lot of spark. <laughs> Adam, with, um, you know, it, it seems like, you know, uh, the player, Players Association and the owners – reached an agreement, you know, just right after the season was delayed, you know, uh, determining, you know, player salary, you know, prorated player salary, if, if there's a season, you know, and, uh, you know, putting that lump sum, I think, of uh, $170 million to pay players. But now it sounds like if you play games and you're playing them with no, in front of no fans, the owners may want, player you know the salaries cut even more uh is do you, do you have a a feeling on that obviously as a player <laughs> my feeling is well, yeah. that kind of sucks <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i mean if you're looking at it from the owner side and i mean they're not making any money i, I don't know enough about bins and out in the situation to really comment it i think it's yeah. just 
a sucky situation all around in every aspect for everybody. I was just, you know, you're from, you're from Seattle, right? And that was kind of a hot, hot spot with the there virus. Are your, yeah. you know, are, are your friends and your family okay? And how do you think the city's doing? Um, my family's doing all right. They're, I mean, they're kind of going crazy inside. Um, I know they're locked down a little bit harder than we are here in Arizona. Um, they got like people patrolling the streets and handing out tickets and stuff like that. We're not quite there yet here in Arizona. Um, but my friends are, I mean, have all been okay. My, my wife had a, one of her bridesmaids in the wedding actually got it and her whole family got it. They are all fine now, but like, it just kind of hit home. Like, wow, like this is a real disease. People are actually getting it. Um, I've seen posts from like old friends that they're, they know people that died from it. And it's just kind of, it opens your eyes when, when you're actually seeing people that, know people that are really affected by yeah. it. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, it's a real thing and you got to treat it like a real thing. I think early, early on it was easy to just be like, Oh, like it's being overhyped and I'm not saying it hasn't been maybe a little bit more, uh, overhyped or right. it seems the end of the world. I don't think it's the end of the world, but it's not something you can really laugh off anymore. Like maybe we were kind of doing a couple months ago. Right. When when we get back to a point where, you know, opening day is in Cleveland and opening day is in front of 40,000 fans in Cleveland and, and you actually get a chance to be out there on the mound and have the stands full and, and you know, you've pitched in those situations before, but how, how different is it going to be? How much more meaningful? And, and will you take a, a second just sort, to sort of look around and appreciate the fact that, you know, you, you would be able to get that that back, get back to that point? hundred percent. You realize that you, you take that thing for, for granted a little bit when you do it 162 games a year. And then all of a sudden it's like you're playing catch at a park with your two buddies. And <laughs> <laughs> when you should be doing that, you should be playing in front of thousands of people. But yeah, I, I, I think that something like this is going to change a lot of things. And for me personally, and I think I can speak for just about anybody in the league, it, it's going to make you definitely appreciate and not take for granted um, being able to go out there and interact with fans and, uh, you know, just, yeah, playing in front of all those people and um, bringing the game to so many people and interacting with the kids and maybe changing their life a little bit and making them want to be a baseball player. It's, it's definitely something I think that you overlook when you're in the middle of it and mm -hmm. before something like this happens. Anything else, Paul? No, that's great, Adam. Thank you very much. We yeah, appreciate yeah. the time. Again, uh, great to have you here on the, uh, the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, hopefully getting back to, to playing games in some capacity, whether it's in Arizona or here next year. Uh, Adam, stay safe, stay healthy, and, and we'll talk to you again soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you.